0: You are listening to The Small Biz Chat Podcast, episode 11. Today we're talking to social media expert Justin Wise about defining your company mission and the number one differentiator that will help your business get more sales in 2016. So let's get started. I'm Arielle Hurst. Welcome to The Small Biz Chat Podcast. If this is your first time listening, thanks for stopping by. The Small Biz Chat Podcast is sponsored by PureChat, the live chat software for small business and produced for business owners who want to hear some real, concrete ways to improve their businesses in less than an hour. Once again, this Small Biz Chat is with author, speaker, and CEO of Think Digital, Justin Wise. Now We connected with Justin to talk about social media, but the core of our conversation really ends up revolving around purpose. Even though so many business owners and entrepreneurs don't invest the time to create a clear mission, Justin believes a cornerstone of success in digital marketing is a deep-seated connection to a common purpose between an audience and a business. Once that common purpose is defined, it's much simpler to engage on social. So to get this conversation started, we picked up with Justin's insights into what small businesses can learn from churches and nonprofits, which are the organizations where he got his start
1: the first thing that I think of when you ask that question is a deep seated connection around a shared purpose and small businesses can learn from that because, you know, there's a great book out there by Simon Sinek, the power of why, I mean, it is just required human being reading, but he says, and you know, he wasn't the first to say this, but I think he says it the most concisely. He says, "People buy your why; they don't buy your what." And so, I think nonprofits really do a, a very good job at a necessity of understanding their why and communicating their why. Now, on the flip side, uh, <clears throat> flip side of that, you know, many nonprofits struggle with like, well, what's our product? What's our what? What are we selling? They don't know. Well, businesses have the leg up there because it's very clear and straightforward. But the businesses that we work with, we really want them to understand their purpose. And it has to go beyond just like making money. That's a miserable purpose. (laughs) So understanding, I think, what the purpose is, you know, nonprofits uh, and ministries really get that. They understand it. For the most part, it's clear to them and most of the people in the organization. And everyone's working towards that end of achieving that purpose or sharing that purpose. And then when you're clear on your purpose, other people are going to gravitate towards it if they share that same, I guess, vision of the future. Um, So I I think small businesses, well, really any business in general, can really learn by saying, Okay, what is our purpose? Why are we doing this? What is our purpose statement? Uh, and getting clear on it, and then communicating it. I'm reading a great book right now called um, "Exponential Organizations," and one of the things that they talk about in the the author talks about in the book is, you know, especially with millennials, millennials gravitate towards uh, companies that that have an altruistic purpose. These aren't nonprofits, these are for-profit companies, but millennials really want to believe that their actions are helping to achieve a greater good that goes way beyond just making money.
0: It's interesting at PureChat, we are sort of we really just clarified sort of what is our what is the value that our product provides and getting really clear about what that is, which I think a lot of companies don't really have their unique value proposition nailed, so that's the first thing. But now we're kind of moving on to what I call our meta mission. And it's more of those altruistic values. And it's, it's interesting to me, at least, because I feel like to some extent, you have to look out into the future and say, this is what we want to be about. And then we have to grow into it. And I feel like there's a little bit of like an authenticity gap, mm. but because you're trying to strive to become all about something that you're not about today. And I'm wondering how has that played into you crafting your own why for your business?
1: Our purpose is to help people share what matters most. And that is vague for a reason, because we uh, we know that to every single person out there, especially listening to this podcast, that's going to mean something different to them. What matters most, and for some, it's going to for most, you know, most entrepreneurs, it's seeing their business uh, grow into the vision that they have for it and we want to help facilitate that um for as many people as possible for as many but it goes just beyond just a business cuz i ultimately what we want is people living the life that they that they envision for themselves and so i'm reading um michael gerber right now his uh you know his fantastic book emyth revisited and he talks about a lot uh, that kind of hey a business is there to basically Like the business doesn't own you, you own the business. And you own the business so it can get you to where you want to go. So let's spend time figuring out what it looks like when you get there. And so when we work with businesses, that's what we want to identify. I mean, social for us is is such a small part of the equation. I know that sounds strange because we're basically a social media marketing company. But what we really want to do at the end of the day is understand who our clients are, understand what they're passionate about, what they care about, why they started their business, and then draw that into their content because that's what people are going to gravitate towards. It's not like, hey, we're the underwater basket weaver business and we sell underwater baskets and uh, they're so cool, so buy our baskets. Nobody cares about that but if you say we're the underwater basket weaving company and we do this because our lives were changed by underwater basket weaving (laughs) and here's how. Um, And so now we want to do the same thing for other people. Like that's legit. So I don't know if that answered your question or not.
0: (laughs) No, I think, you know, I lost the question somewhere in there, but I like what you just said. So no, I think it was good. The thing that struck me when you said you were very easily able to answer what's our why. I think that's so impressive because it's so hard to get that into something that's concise. And I'm wondering, like, what was your process of figuring that out for you? Were there any missteps along the way? Or was there a point where you thought it was something else or didn't have that clear? And how did that affect the way you were doing business?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that has only been in place for, I would say, the last six months. Um, In fact, it was. It was June of 2015 and so our 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 business is uh two let's just say two years it's two years old so if you do the math that's 18 months where there wasn't any clarity there was just like we've got to keep our head above water and we've got to you know sell to make payroll And that's going to mean we're going to do stuff that we didn't initially envision for ourselves, but people are asking it for it to be be done and we need the money. So we're going to do it. And then I just got like rocked and it's kind of a long story, but essentially came to the point where it was like, okay, it's decision time, right? So we need to really figure out at the end of the day, what it is that we're going to do, and who we are going to serve, um, and so out of that process came that purpose statement, and it took a long time to get that clear, and to get that focused, and to have that that weight behind it. But um, the process we used was that we actually used our own process on ourselves, so. When we work with businesses, the first thing we run them through is what we call a think tank. And the think tank is basically a process that we've developed to pull out things like purpose, pull out the ideal persona, to pull out the process by which you do your purpose, and to pull out your product, so what it is you offer to the world. And it works great and we've used it on you know dozens of organizations well we turned the tables on ourselves and used that process on on our own business and emerged with just tremendous amounts of clarity and so it was kind of it was it was like gosh why hadn't we done this sooner you know the cobbler's kids have the worst shoes but it was also a huge confidence booster because we saw what we had been Hearing clients say, "Which was this works, (laughs) this works," and we did it for ourselves. So there was just some more confidence there to be able to go into situations and say, "Listen, we're going to help you get clear on this, and then we're going to build an online strategy to help you communicate this to the world or to the your ideal persona or whomever."
0: Yeah, definitely. And you always hear dog fooding is so important in the software business. You always hear that that you need to be using your own product, but I think when your product is so focused on some of the core elements of the business, I'm sure that was incredibly valuable for you.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, just to drill down on that real quickly, the the crisis point that I was telling you about came from, um, it, it came out of like, we are just like drifting along and I knew I didn't, I didn't know much about business, but I knew that if that did not get clear, if that did not get fixed, we would end up in the graveyard called failed businesses. And so it was like, it was mission critical. And, you know, doing social media for companies and businesses, we used to, like I had to learn about business because social is so connected. It's interwoven. It's inseparable from a solid business ethos and strategy because it's how people connect with businesses now. Your website, your blog, your your social media channels are how people primarily find out about you. And so understanding social means understanding business at a very deep core level. Um, And so that process has just kind of come out of our experience just with ourselves internally and also working with clients.
0: I think it's easy to think of social media as an afterthought. Mm. And I'm wondering like, for example, for someone who is very interested in content marketing like me, it's just a distribution platform. What's the most common misconception about social media that you hear?
1: Uh, well, you, you nailed it. You identified it. It's, oh, this is cute. Like social media is a cute thing That is for the young people (laughs) or, Hey, we kind of, I know we have to do social, so let's just stick the intern on it. And what I tell people is no social. And, you know, when I say social, I, I basically am throwing three different elements in. I'm talking about social networks. I'm talking about blogs and I'm talking about email marketing. So when I say social media, that's what I mean. Because email is like the original, it's the OG social media. Um, I love that.
0: I've never heard that before, but it's it's true.
1: It's totally true. But when you talk about social, it's like, are you okay? Social is your ambassador to the world. Do you like what it is saying about your business? So that means when... A potential client or customer comes to your Twitter page, let's say, and there are months and months of inactivity that sends a message to them that says, even if it's very subtle and on a very subconscious level, these people are not active, they're not listening, they're not paying attention. Uh, Maybe I need to go find a different business. And I've seen this enough times. People are gonna. People hear me say that, and they may scoff or not believe it. But I've seen this enough times, just to know that this is this is how the world works right now. And so we can either fight it and ignore it, and our businesses can die or struggle, or we can embrace it and do something about it. So, social means like you have a blog. The blog has to be active because if people go and they see there's years between posts, or Even harder, if your posts are frequent, but all they do is talk about you, that sends a message to potential clients and leads. And the message isn't a good one. It's like getting stuck at a dinner party, talking to somebody who all they care about is showing you pictures of their kids, telling you about their promotion at work, telling you how great their life is, what kind of car they drive. All they do is talk about themselves. Um, That sends a message to people. And so businesses have to be aware of the fact that social serves as their brand ambassador. And so do you like what it's what they're saying, the message that it's sending? Are they dressed nicely and do they treat people kindly and with respect? Or are they kind of looking like a slob with food dribbling down their chin and cursing at everyone who walks by? <laughs> I'm kind of making a, you know, going over the top with this, but, but I know this to be true that consumers are, before they, before they do business, they are checking out social channels, they're checking out websites, and they're making judgments even before they step foot in a building, even before they sign up for an email list, even before they pick up the phone. And so social has to be your best foot forward.
0: Yeah, definitely. But you know, my first thought with that, if if I'm a small business with limited time is people glance at my social media to see if I'm a credible, credible business, and then they'll move on. So my thought would be, okay, well, maybe it doesn't look good that I don't have very many Twitter followers. I'll buy some Twitter followers. I'll hire an intern to do a blog post or two a week. You know, you know, doing things that are just for appearances, like where does it how important is it to have quality to that, and do customers really care that you're producing quality stuff on an ongoing basis?
1: Um, now, this is a lot. I don't want to say this all depends on your industry because I think that we're at a point now where, regardless of industry, social can have an impact on your business. But, but um, I would say that for the majority of businesses, hearing this this podcast. C- content is a commodity. And I would rather people, I say this all the time, I'd rather have people r- create consistent bad content than inconsistent good content. So the first place that I stop at is consistency. So to your to your point, I would rather people have stocked content that maybe, you know, frankly, doesn't add a ton of value. Because you're building a rhythm into your business that desperately needs to be there. That's the most important thing is to build up the rhythm or to build up the habit or to build up the infrastructure to create consistent content. The second stop is quality. Because once you get the rhythm in place and once you build it into your business kind of life cycle, Then you can focus on the quality aspect and that's where you really begin to differentiate yourself from a competitor because if people are coming to you because of the quality of your content, then you automatically have a trust level with them that, that they maybe don't have with a competitor or with somebody else who's doing business in a different area. So, I'd rather people be consistent first and then focus on quality. But I think if at the very least, if people are hearing this and wondering like what what the heck do I do, I'd rather be consistent. But also knowing that quality is a huge component of it.
0: Definitely. It's just like more of a leveling up. Clearly one of the values of social media based on what you're saying is that it builds credibility. It shows people that you're current, that they're engaged with their audience. But I'm wondering also, as a small business, we kind of hear that social media should be sending me leads. What should we be doing to get social media kind of turn it into a lead generating machine, which is what, you know, that's the dream.
1: I love it. I love that you asked this question. Because this has like vexed me since 2007. So I went to a conference in 2007. Business Insider put it on. We are in this smelly, hot, dank basement. I swear it was like a basement of this art gallery in Manhattan. And it was me and like 30 people. Because I swear that's like there was only 30 people on the planet who cared about um, basically social media ROI. Oh, wow. Yeah. So this is, now this is, again, in 2007. So Twitter was just starting to take off. But Business Insider, I think, had a lot of wisdom in asking that question. And so they brought these huge brands, global brands. Uh, Pepsi was there. American Express was there. Um, there's a few others that I can't remember now because it's been so long. But they just talked about how to connect social media activity to dollars and cents. And that has really been on my mind since then. And we've really tried to, I don't know if solving that equation is the right word, but we've really tried to build a system that answers that question. So that's what we call it. It's a social media system. And it involves five different areas. Um, the first one that we have already talked about, it's creating consistent content, then creating quality content. The second stop is engagement, audience engagement. So when you create content on a consistent basis, and especially if it's quality content, then you'll get reaction. And that looks like people responding to your tweets or commenting on your Facebook page or commenting on your YouTube channel or you know whatever. People will talk back. And the worst thing a business can do is ignore that where an audience now almost expects engagement. So when your audience speaks to you, engagement means you speak back. That's the social part in social media. Now, that's two out of five. And I'll share the other three here in a second, but most businesses stop there if they get to the second stop at all. And there's no, there's no leads there. There's no conversion opportunities there. My friend Brad puts it this way. He says, selling directly on social networks is like making out in church. You can do it, but it's highly frowned upon. And I totally love that because he's absolutely right. When we try and sell directly on, let's say, Twitter or on Facebook, it almost repels buyers. Because social is a relational platform. It's not transactional, it's relational. And so we have to respect that and acknowledge that. So what we do is we spend time creating content and engaging our audience so our channels will grow. We're essentially growing those distribution channels. And we take opportunities to convert those social channels into blog traffic. So that's the third stop. So we build the distribution channels of our social. So when we do basically make an ask, if you will, it's to send people to our websites, our blogs, new content, whatever. And the blog content serves as, you know, we want it it to add value. But we also want to set up our blog to capture email addresses. That's the fourth stop. And it's on email where we really can start marketing in the sense that we're turning those social, you know, network followers into leads. It doesn't happen on the networks themselves. It happens through the blog and on email. Um, So, you know, the the benefits of email marketing are vast and varied and we don't have time to get into it here. But, you know, if if at least for our business, if we're going to sell, it's going to happen on email. And I would say that's the the truth for most businesses hearing this podcast. Um, Now, to back a step up, this is what I love about what you guys do. Because with your product, I mean, people, they can read content on a blog, let's say. But if you have a visitor who stays on board and reads a blog post for a minute or so, you know that they're engaged. And so kicking a message to them is super helpful to say, hey, do you like what you're seeing or something of that nature? I mean, that's how your product works.
0: This shouldn't be surprising, but it, it sort of is. I think it's against people's expectations that social media does not generate leads. It right. drives traffic to the place where you're going to be able to generate leads. And that to me sounds like the distinction of what you're saying based on people's most common misconceptions.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, you, you, you totally nailed it. You don't you you get people interested and you raise your awareness and you raise increase engagement on social. you don't convert. The conversion happens on the website, like we were saying, or it happens through, via email marketing. That's where the conversion opportunities happen. And then the fifth stop just around the circle out, is growth, what we call growth, but it's really uh, ad spend. So social ads. You know, Facebook ads right now are one of the best opportunities for small businesses to to grow, to get hyper targeted in their messaging to the audience that matters the most to them. And when you when you spend ad or when you spend money on ads, when you spend marketing dollars on ads, you're actually completing the circle so that more people follow you on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever and you start the whole cycle all over again. So that's kind of how the system works. But social, in and of itself, is a is miserable in terms of selling directly. It's, it's dreadful.
0: Yes, definitely. I'm glad that we had that conversation because I think most people are expecting it to be a selling point, and it's definitely not. But now, I want to turn the tables a little bit. So there, of course, we have our business brand, right? But you also have your personal brand. Personal brand, and you in particular have built a personal brand about about being a social media expert. How does that come into play in this whole process? Is it important to have a personal brand? Is that just you? You you are a broadcast personality. It's something that appealed to you, but isn't for everyone. I'm just kind of curious to get your take on that.
1: Well, there's really two ways to approach it. I think is one um, if you have interest. Let's put it that way. If you have interest. Like my friend Casey's doing this right now where he's built his business brand for the last seven years. And it's a strong brand. It's an identifiable brand. People know who they are and what they do. But what he's doing now is leveraging that, the brand of his business to build his own personal brand. So he's built up the network via his business and is now leveraging that to build his personal brand. I love that play. What I'm doing is actually the opposite. So but almost by accident, I've built up some form of personal brand. And I say by accident because back when I got started, I, I don't even know that the words personal brand existed. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, hey, I'm going to set out. Like sometimes I hear people say, how do I build a personal brand? And I, I cringe a little bit because – you just kind of have to like you just have to have something number 1 worthwhile to say and then it just kind of happens i mean i don't know i mean that's kind of it but so so i had kind of through the years built up this personal brand and then realized like number 1 i don't want a business that is contingent on me i don't i don't want to have a business that revolves around me justin i want to have a business that Uh, I can bring other people on board and they feel like they're contributing to something that isn't directly related to me. And somewhere down the line, you know, in terms of an exit strategy, I know this to be true. Businesses that are not a personal brand sell uh, three times higher than businesses that are related to a personal brand.
0: I love that answer. I think it's a question a lot of people have How important is personal branding? And I think ultimately your answer was, it's really up to you. But if your business is going to live and die by your personal brand, that's probably not a great thing. What is a sort of tipping point that you've already had in your career or a major shift that you've already had?
1: The first thing that comes to my mind, yeah, God, I don't want to get emotional. I really don't. I have not cried on a podcast yet and I don't intend to. (laughs) The first like wow moment was when my wife quit her job, and I knew so like my wife, a real quick backstory, on my wife she's so little some little girls grew up and they want to be like a princess or someone want to be you know a doctor or someone want to be like a beauty queen. My wife grew up wanting to be a stay at home mom. <laughs> I know, super weird, but that's what she's always wanted to do. And when I was working at the church, she was the breadwinner by far. She worked um, doing advocacy stuff and was really talented at it. And she made the lion's share of our shared income. Well, when we got when, when she got pregnant in 2009 with our first child, we had some really hard decisions to make because there was no way. I mean, we did the budget every which way and there was no way we can make it work on my salary alone. None. So long story short, I got to work building the business and it took a while. Um, Well, like I said, if you're keeping track, that was 2009 and uh, through a series of events, we were able to make it so when Finn was born, that's my son, he was, my first son is Finn, He, uh, three months after he was born, Carrie quit her job and could stay at home. And I wasn't doing Think Digital at, at the time, at least not in the form that it is now, but I was uh, doing contracts and just hustling, just grinding, making it work. And it was at that moment where I thought I will never work for anybody ever again in my entire life because this is amazing. (laughs) So it hasn't been easy since that point. I mean, there have been bumps, but that was the moment where I thought I'm doing this. and, And you can imagine the strong motivator, the motivation behind that. So, It's just been a series of those things now, one after the other. You know, that was the first big one. Now, Then it was like bringing people on our team. Now I wasn't just responsible for our livelihood, but responsible for the livelihoods of other people. Um, And just those little moments, I think, you know, they all add up to say this is huge that you're able to do this.
0: Thank you for sharing that story because I think, I can't imagine what the feeling was like, and maybe you can tell me, but making a decision that you're going to go out on your own and start your own business at such a critical time when there's really no going back, it has to work now. What was that like?
1: Um, This is going to sound like people who don't feel this way are going to think that there's something wrong with with me, (laughs) but I loved it. I did. I loved it. I hear stories of people like, oh, my gosh, I couldn't sleep or, oh, I was so nervous or I was throwing up all the time because I was you know, a nervous wreck. I was just – I loved it. I mean, I really, really loved it. I loved the stress. I loved being – I loved having no net. I mean, who am I kidding? There's still no net. There's never a net, I don't think. Um, but – I really did. I loved it. And so I I think that just for me was confirmation that this needed to happen some time ago. And the other part that I'll mention too that I haven't mentioned yet was I had really good mentors, and I still do, who could see my skill set and were able to tell me, my one business coach, Ben, he said, you are unemployable. (laughs) Stop working for other people. You will never be happy working for somebody else. And he was right. Um, So all that kind of combined together. And I, I mean, there were moments that I didn't like. Like when we launched our first course in September 2013, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. And I remember we didn't have an office at the time, so I was at a coffee shop. I was sitting in a (laughs) – sitting in a booth at Mars Cafe uh, by Drake University here in Des Moines weeping (laughs) Because, because like the billing automation didn't work for our course and people couldn't get their content. And I think at one point one of our order forms was like triple charging people. So it was just like, it was miserable, but it lasted for like 24 hours. But when all the, when I actually launched and all this stuff started happening, I was so overwhelmed, I just cried. I just started crying. Uh, but anyway, you have those types of moments, but it's like, that's going to happen in any job. Maybe not the crying part, but the moments where you're like, this is, this sucks. So it's like, why not do it for myself and have a blast doing it?
0: Yeah, totally. Thank you. And that's a great story. I appreciate you sharing it because, man, have there been days when it feels like everything is going wrong. And on those days, I think, I think one of the things that is hardest about being an entrepreneur in general is you feel like you're on an island. That's how I always describe it. It can feel yes. very lonely. So every time I hear a story like that, I feel like it's just one more reminder that there's actually a lot of people on this island called entrepreneurship
1: yeah well to just just kind of piggyback off your point I can't stress enough the importance of mentors and coaches because when you know part of my language is but when the shit goes down you can have somebody to call Um, because if you don't you will quit that's an easy way out all right so you'll quit or you won't quit and you will slowly go insane and I and I don't I mean that literally you will drive yourself crazy if you don't have people who have been down that road before you.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. I think I tend to lean a little bit more toward the slowly going insane side when things are getting a little bit scary. So yeah, that one clicks with me really quickly. I would just like to hear from you since you're a social media expert, can you give me a prediction of something that's to come in social media or a shift that you see coming that people should keep an eye out for.
1: I am doubling down on this with our clients and going for broke. So I'll share it here. Uh, Engagement is basically the only thing, the only differentiator that businesses have anymore. And what I mean by that is if you like, if you have a product and you have a company, two companies that sell the same product, but one company like, has a better quality product than the other company. Let's say product, you know, company A has kind of the mediocre product and company B has the quality product. Well, but company A like, talks back to their audience. Company A takes the initiative to actually go and see who company B's customers are and reaches out to them one-on-one on a human level. And connects with them. Company A uh, responds to their clients' emails. Company A, you know, comments on people's praises on their Facebook page and takes care of their nasty comments. Company B doesn't do any of that. Company A is going to crush Company B in sales. It will be there will be no comparison because. The company A has, will be connected to people on an emotional level, on a relational level. Whereas company B may have the higher quality product, but they're not connected with people r- relationship-wise. Uh, so that's where we're centering a lot of our strategy right now is how do we increase our ability to engage on our client's behalf? and get into the guts of their business so that we can intelligently interact with these folks. That I would say, when I look at the landscape ahead, because really quickly, the reason why that's happening, take a look at the apps that are doing well in the App Store. Okay, they all have to do with some form of messaging. I mean, take a look at text messages. Like I read somewhere the other day, text messages, the new email, or you look at WhatsApp or Snapchat, right? Um, These apps are totally crushing it in the app store because it's a one-to-one or a group-to-one connection. And it's that connection that you cannot replicate. I don't care how great your product is. If a person is connected to a brand on a relational level, they will choose that brand 9.9 times out of 10. So that's where we're gearing our efforts for clients and that's where I think anyone listening to this should take great lengths to build relationships with their customers.
0: It's it's funny you say that actually because, I mean, Pure Chat ultimately is an engagement software, right? It helps you engage with your website visitors and I can say from our own personal experience, when we hear from our customers, they know we're a small team, we have two support guys who talk to basically all of our customers and they will mention them by name. They feel like yes. they have a real relationship. Hey, Dylan helped me install the chat box. Robert gave me this tip and it totally made the biggest difference. And I think that that connection has been so huge for us. We, we can't put a dollar amount on it, but you can just feel what a difference it has made for our customers and for how much we're growing.
1: Well, that's the, that's, we say a lot, the ROI of social media is relationships. And what I think you just identified encapsulates that phrase where you it, it, Gary Vee says this all the time it's like what's the ROI of the relationship with your mother
0: I was just about to say that I'm glad you I'm glad you beat me to it
1: Well yeah I mean that's such a good point because it's like how do you quantify that Well you can't necessarily I mean you 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 can't you can't put a price tag on that and I think that's what a lot of businesses struggle with now you can quantify I think the effect of social um, in other ways, but, but primarily at its heart, we're dealing about dealing with human relationships. And so, you know, it, when you see it.
0: Once again, that was entrepreneur, Justin Wise, founder of Think Digital, an agency that builds social media systems for small business. If you'd like to hear more from Justin, feel free to check out his website, thinkdigital.co or his blog, justinwise.net. You can also find him on Twitter at Justin Wise. As always, we'd love it if you'd tweet us at Arielle Hurst or at PeerChat and check out blog.peerchat.com for other actionable small business advice. If you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to rate the Small Biz Chat podcast on iTunes. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to having you tune in for our next chat.